Thank you, choir. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, hold your spot there. And that's where we're going to primarily be. We're going to read a lot of verses in Luke chapter 2 today. And uh, we'll, we'll move around a little bit, but that's primarily the passage where we're going to be. So while you're turning there, let me ask a question for you to think about for just a moment. Th- think in your mind, what are some things you typically celebrate? Right? What are some things that you as a person, for you as a family, what are the types of things that you typically celebrate? Uh, I would be willing to say for everybody in the room, probably birthdays is on that list, right? You have your way of celebrating birthdays, whether it's cake or ice cream or both, which I highly recommend, or presents, or maybe you've got your own little quirky little family celebrations. Maybe you sing a different song other than the birthday song. I don't know. Maybe you don't sing at all, but I would be willing to say for you, birthdays is on that list. Anniversaries, maybe that's on the list for you as well. Maybe you celebrate those in a certain way. Uh, We tend to celebrate those certain kind of, you know, for, for most all of us, those would be on the list. Maybe for you, you celebrate achievements, Certain achievements, say like retirement, for example, if you've been retired, if you've come to that place, you know, there was, I would be willing to say, your workplace came together, maybe they threw you a little party, maybe they took you out to eat, maybe they gave you a gold watch or a plaque or something, maybe they celebrated when you retired, right? Maybe they were the ones who did the celebrating. I don't know. I don't know what type of an employee you may have been, but, you know, we celebrate certain achievements, whether it's, um, you know, retirement or Maybe your team wins, you know, you've got a professional team that you cheer for or a college team or whatever, you know, when they win, you celebrate. If they do something well, you celebrate. Those are the kinds of things that we typically celebrate. You know, for, also for us, we celebrate certain days, whether it's the 4th of July or certain other events that go on. Susie and I went to Canada years ago and we were up there and we were having lunch and uh, the only time that we've been to Canada and, and we were there and it was a, a big day there. I think it was Queen Victoria Day or something like that. I don't even know what it was, uh, what it celebrated. It, you may know, and I'm sure you'll tell me after the service is over. But it was Queen Victoria Day, and uh, and so we're asking the waiter, the waitress, like, what what exactly is this? And she she was explaining, and uh, she I guess she asked where we're from. We told her, and she said, "You Americans celebrate everything." And uh, it was an interesting comment because in a way we kind of do. There's a celebration pretty much every single month. Here's the thing: it, when you think about this, you celebrate what you value, right? That's the way we operate. We celebrate the things that we value. With those things that are important to us, I think we've got that on the overhead here on, on the slide. The things that we value, we're typically going to celebrate those things. Things are important. If, if retirement is important, right, that's the way of saying, I put in a lot of hours here, put in a lot of years in this place, I'm retiring, and now I'm going to celebrate because of all the things that were accomplished. Birthdays we celebrate. Because it's our way of saying, we're really glad you were born into this world, that you're part of my life, and so we're going to celebrate that. We celebrate the things that we value. That, that's, just, that's just the way life ultimately works. Now, whenever you look at Christmas, obviously, there are a lot of implications on how we celebrate Christmas and how that reflects whether or not we value what Christmas ultimately stands for and what it accomplished. Because we celebrate those things that we ultimately value. Two weeks ago, we started a little Christmas series. We're going to wrap it up today. And uh, in that series, we started two weeks ago with a message entitled The Silence of Christmas. And we looked at the whole concept of that 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was the what we call the intertestamental period. I know that sounds 
you know, kind of uh, theological for you, but it's just that 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's a tendency to think, well, what was God doing there? He wasn't doing anything. He was asleep or he was absent or what have you. He wasn't active. That it could be further from the truth. That even though we have no book of Scripture in that 400-year span between Malachi and the opening of the Gospels in Matthew, God was very much present. He was very much active, right? He wasn't absent. He wasn't inactive. He was present and he was active. So we talked about that silence of Christmas, how we often go through seasons of silence in our lives where we feel like God is a million miles away. We feel like he's not hearing our prayers and yet very much so in those moments, he's active and he's present for us. The last Sunday, we looked at the salvation of Christmas. You see where I'm going with this? S, silence, S. I've never tried to alliterate, but this has fallen into place pretty well. And uh, I'm not smart enough to alliterate. So I've never even tried. Uh, but the, 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 the salvation of Christmas, and we looked at Jesus and how John tells us uh, in John chapter 1, verse 10, that even though he came into the world, the world did not know him. And the vast majority of people 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born, I know, hard to believe, but the vast majority of people missed him. They missed him for who he was, or they missed the event all together. And people still miss him today for who he is, and they miss the whole concept of what he's accomplished through the salvation that only he can bring. There's salvation found in no other name under heaven that's been given to us by which we can be saved. Only Jesus himself. And so we looked at the silence of Christmas. We looked at the salvation of Christmas. Today, we're going to wrap up this little mini-series with a message that deals with the celebration of Christmas, all right? So um, <clears throat> I'm so proud of myself that I've been able to alliterate this whole entire series. It was just a, I, I never thought I could do it, but I actually finally, after 20 years, have been able to alliterate a whole series with three different message titles. So um, I don't know why you're laughing, why you think that's so funny, but um, s- some of you won't be able to sleep tonight, so let's go ahead and just put the other one up there. Okay, so the celebration of Christmas. It's a phonetic series is what we're doing. So uh, all focusing on the sound. So we're going to look at the celebration of Christmas. Remember, we celebrate what we value. Those things that we consider valuable to us, those are the things that we ultimately are going to celebrate. And when you look at the story of Christmas, and we find it in the pages of the New Testament specifically, it's scattered all the way through. You can see Christmas starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, if you want to, right? It's all the way through the pages of Scripture. But for most people, when they think about where are the details of Christmas captured for us, even though the Bible never uses the word Christmas, you see it most clearly captured in the Gospels, most specifically in Matthew's account in chapters 1 and 2 of his Gospel, and in Luke's account in chapters 1 and 2 of his Gospel. That's where we see the details. But when you look at the story, the true story of Christmas, What we find is, is that there are so many things worth celebrating. One of those things is God's sovereign control, right? The fact that he was in in, in control, he demonstrated his power by his sovereignty. We just simply mean that every single detail he was in charge of, he was orchestrating, and he worked it out for his ultimate purpose and his ultimate plan. And all through the Christmas story, we see his sovereign power and his sovereignty demonstrated. For example... Just one example, the whole, the whole detail about Caesar Augustus, right, in, in Luke chapter 2, when it talks about that it was under his reign, the reign of Caesar Augustus, that he issued a decree that the whole world should, be, uh, should ultimately have a census taken. And so you find all these people that are traveling throughout the Roman Empire, two of whom would be Mary and Joseph, 
living currently in Nazareth, they would travel 90 miles down to Bethlehem, in re, ultimately in obedience to the decree of this Roman governmental leader who had no religious influence pretty much whatsoever, at least according to what scripture, you know, according to truth. Little do people realize that in the scope of history, um, Caesar Augustus was actually the adopted son of Julius Caesar. So when you studied back in schools, Julius Caesar assassinated 44 BC. Well, the Caesar Augustus that you read of right here in Luke chapter 2 was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Right there in history, he issues this decree. Mary and Joseph travel from Nazareth 90 miles down to Bethlehem without even realizing it, fulfilling prophecy that all goes all the way back to the prophet Micah that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. We can celebrate God's sovereignty over the whole entire Christmas story. So many different examples of that. That's just one of them. We celebrate God's sovereignty during this season. We also celebrate the miraculous because God performed the miraculous that first Christmas. He performed the miraculous just simply through the whole concept of the virgin birth right? That that Jesus was born of a virgin. We've read that sometimes for some of us. You've read that so many times that maybe it's lost the gloss, it's lost the shine, it's lost the significance. He had to be born of a virgin. And and, and here's why. That, That when Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, when he would ultimately, 33 years later, go to the cross and die in our place, that sacrifice needed to also be a substitute right? He was not an adequate substitute unless he was one of us. Bulls and goats had been offered, uh, uh, lambs had been offered all through Old Testament era. None of those were an adequate substitute for us. They only covered sin for a season. They could not take sin away once and for all. Jesus, when he came, he was our substitute. Why? Because he was just like us. He was born of a woman. He was 100% human. But he also had to be a pure sacrifice, not just a substitute. Again, they'd had substitutes all through the Old Testament era, or the bulk of it, right, with, with, with um, the animals that were offered on the altar, but he had to be a perfect substitute, a perfect sacrifice. That was possible because he's also 100% God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth is crucial to everything that would unfold in the remainder of the New Testament all the way up to where it impacts us still today. Some people think, oh, I can't accept the whole concept of a virgin birth. Maybe you've got folks in the workplace or in your family or friends of yours. It's, I don't know. Christmas to me is just lights and decorations and getting good gifts. I don't get into the religious stuff. I mean, born of a virgin doesn't make sense. I don't say that's just impossible. Well, it's the miraculous. What's ironic is when you think about atheists, atheists believe typically in, in evolution, right? And, uh, and atheists typically believe in a virgin-born universe, but they have an issue with a virgin-born savior. <laughs> I mean, really, anytime you have something out of nothing, which is kind of the atheistic perspective on how we have life to begin with, something out of nothing, you can't have something out of nothing unless there is a a supreme, sovereign, eternal being outside of time, outside of space, outside of matter who brings it all into existence. That's the Christian story. That's the true story. It's the only logical explanation for life. The virgin birth is crucial to 
our understanding of who God is, how God has revealed himself. And it's crucial ultimately to our salvation as well because it would have implications all the way up to the cross and ultimately the resurrection. So we celebrate God's sovereignty. We celebrate the miraculous. We celebrate the surprising. There are surprising elements to the Christmas story. Lots of surprising elements. One, for example, would be the shepherds themselves, right? That the shepherds were the ones that received God's, uh, kind of the first message that the Messiah had been born. And so in God's economy, right, in his whole plan, he chooses not to take the message of the arrival of the Messiah to the, uh, uh, to the palace. He doesn't take it to the palace first. He doesn't take it to the religious leaders first. He goes out to the field and he announces the arrival of the Messiah to a group of guys who are rough around the edges, who are untrustworthy as a group, right? To, to the, they're probably loud. They were probably boisterous. They were kind of like your uncle at Thanksgiving, right? That you're really glad when he drove back to wherever it was that he came from to visit. That's probably the group that, that the shepherds were, kind of as a, as, a, as a group, as a whole. And that's exactly, surprising, isn't it, that God would bring the message that the Messiah had been born to that group first. If it was today, I mean, it would go all over. We would think, <laughs> this is going to go viral over social media. It's probably going to start, you know, with some government leader. They're going to announce it. No, God brought it to the shepherds. Incredibly surprising that that's how he would ultimately operate, that he would bring the message to this group of guys first. And we celebrate the surprising in this whole true story of Christmas. <coughs> Hold on. I'll be back. All right. But we also celebrate at the very center <coughs> of all of this. <coughs> we celebrate that beyond the surprising, beyond the miraculous, beyond a demonstration of God's sovereignty, that this was salvation that had come. It was God stepping into human history to do for us what we desperately needed him to do. That he came in the way that Matthew and the way Luke would describe him as just the person that we needed him to be. So Luke chapter 2, take a look at what it says. We're going to read this passage again in just a moment, but I want you to see I want you to see something here first. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 11. This is the angel coming to the shepherds. He brings them the message. He brings the announcement. It says in verse 10, Luke chapter 2, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you, for you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We read through that passage and we just kind of rip through it because we've read it so often. It's in Luke chapter 2. But what we sometimes miss are the three titles that are there for Jesus, for who he is. His name is going to come in Matthew. Luke's going to give these three titles. One is the title of Savior. From the very moment that the angel announced to the shepherds of who this was that was born in the city of Bethlehem, he announces him as a savior, not just an ordinary arrival of an ordinary person. This would be a savior. This would be a rescuer. This would be a redeemer. All right? So the word there, the first title, is the title savior. He gives him a second title, the title Christ. We consider that his name. It's really more of a title. It means Messiah. And so when the angel would announce to the shepherds, they undoubtedly would have fully understood of what the concept of a Messiah was, that, that the angel, this was pivotal news, right? This was giant news. That are you telling me, angel, that the Messiah that we've been waiting for, that our ancestors sung about, wrote about, talked about, that we would sit around the dinner table, that we would sit around the campfire, and we would hear one day a Messiah is coming? Are you telling me the Christ, the Messiah, that he's here? 
right? Did, did we hear you correctly that this is who it is? The angel says, this is the Messiah. He has arrived. And then the third title, the title Lord, uh, completely puts to rest who Jesus would be because it would equate him with none other than God himself, that this would be God who has come, as Matthew would say, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the whole centerpiece of the whole message of Scripture, uh, of of Christmas, beyond the lights, beyond the, uh, uh, the, the traditions, beyond everything else. The centerpiece of it is that God sent for us a Savior, the Messiah, God himself, who came for us. That is the primary thing that we celebrate. And remember, we celebrate those things that ultimately, that ultimately we value. We celebrate those things that we value. There's no wonder that the angels celebrated. When you look at this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2, and you begin to read these details, there is no wonder that the angels celebrated because they had been waiting for this. I believe from, from the time that Adam and Eve sinned, we don't know where in the creation account the angels were created. They are created beings that are not divine. Somewhere in there, God doesn't give us the details in Scripture. They were created and I believe that ever, it would only make logical sense that from the moment that Adam and Eve were created, or ultimately that made the decision to sin, from the moment they fell, I believe the angels were looking to the day when God would pay for their sin. Not in a way that was temporary through the sacrificial system, but in a way that was once and for all. There's no wonder that the angels celebrated. Look at what it says. Let's go back again. Luke chapter 2. Let, let's start in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. No wonder they celebrated. They had been waiting for this day when God would put into place his redemptive plan. And the Bible doesn't tell us how many angels were there. It doesn't say there were a a, a few hundred. It doesn't say there were a few thousand. It says multitude, right? But it doesn't tell us how many. Uh, you You can figure out however many you want. But for me, it would make perfect sense if every single angel showed up on site that particular night. It would only make sense because this was the pivotal moment in history. Easter doesn't come unless Christmas comes. You have no cross, no death, no substitute, no sacrifice, no payment for sin, no resurrection unless he shows up to begin with. This is the pivotal moment to this point in human history. No wonder the angels celebrated. No wonder the shepherds celebrated. You look at the shepherds, look down at verse 15, Luke chapter 2. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then. See this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they'd seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God 
for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. No wonder the shepherds celebrated. Many believe that the shepherds probably, Bethlehem, six miles from Jerusalem, many believe that the shepherds probably cared for the sheep that would later be taken to the temple and offered as sacrifices, which is interesting. It makes sense. It's interesting that it would be the shepherds who were so close to the concept of sacrifice that would be told first that the ultimate sacrifice had come. No wonder they celebrated. It said as they left in verse 20, look at what it says again, that they went back wherever it was they had come from, glorifying and praising God for all that they had, had heard and seen just as had been told them. Uh, again, it was probably a loud <laughs> running conversation as they made their way back of just talking about what they had witnessed. It's no wonder they celebrated the way they did. We celebrate what we value, and they just seemed the most valuable sight they could ever behold. It's no wonder that Simeon celebrated. Simeon, you rarely hear him in the Christmas story. There he was in the temple, Luke chapter 2, look down at verse 22. This is a few weeks after Jesus would be born, when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they went to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him, he took Jesus into his arms, and he blessed God and said, you, Lord, or now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It's interesting in verse 29, he says, now Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. This is his way of saying pretty much, I can die in peace now. I've been waiting for this moment, uh, the biggest moment of my life. I have held in my arms the Messiah, salvation embodied, right? I have held him, the name Jesus in Matthew, when it says in Matthew 121, you'll give him the name Jesus. It's the the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation, right? We, we kind of pull out of that the Greek version, Jesus, and, and then the English version of that, the name Jesus. But, but what, what Simeon was doing, he was holding salvation in his arms, and he said, I can die in peace now. No wonder he celebrated. I mean, he was right there on the front row to see what God had accomplished. And, and then you look at Anna a little bit further down, another even more forgotten uh, figure in the Christmas story. Down in verse 36, it says there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, right, she walks in to maybe to literally Simeon holding Jesus in his arms. It says at that very moment she came up and she began giving thanks to God. 
And he continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Worship was her life. She walks up on the Messiah. And all she can do is celebrate. Shepherds, the angels, Simeon, Anna. All they can do is celebrate. Which kind of brings us to us. So how do we approach the story of Christmas? Is it just another stressor? <laughs> I can't wait till December's over. You know, is that kind of the mentality? Do we get so bogged down it's busy? Man, I'm telling you, it's busy for all of us. There are things to be at, things to, to do. I mean, I understand it, I get it. But when we think about the, the truth of what Scripture tells us about that first Christmas, are we able to celebrate as well? We should because your Savior came for you. Our Savior came for us. He stepped into history, stepped into life as we know it, and he ultimately brought with him rescue. He brought with him salvation. Paul would write about this. Believe it or not, we don't usually put Paul in with the passages of, of the Christmas story, but in Galatians chapter 4, look at what Paul writes. You can see this. If you don't want to turn to it in your Bible, you can see the screen behind me. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 5. Look at what Paul would write. Paul would meet this Savior, Jesus. It would be after he would ultimately die on the cross and rise again and even ascend to heaven. He would appear to Paul. Paul's life would be radically changed. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Paul says in Galatians that it was in the perfect timing that the Savior Jesus was born of a woman. It's the virgin birth, 100% human, 100% God. And he uses two words that stand out in verse 5. You can see them there. I've highlighted them. The word redeem and the word adoption. To me, they're the key part of this particular passage, these two verses. The word redeem has connotations that go all the way back to the slave trade in the first century. To redeem could not be really separated from the concept of slavery. To redeem meant that you bought back out of slavery and bondage into freedom one who was currently a slave. That's what it meant to redeem. That's the, the meaning of the Greek word that we translate as redeem. It is to purchase out of bondage and slavery one and put them into a place of freedom. And it's what this, it's that same word that Paul uses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to explain to us what we've experienced in our salvation. That we were one, and we lose sight of this, man. When we go to church for so long, especially those who have been saved for so many years, you, you lose sight. We lose sight of the fact that we were once enslaved to sin with no hope in this world, and a Savior named Jesus came to us one day. For me, it was when my mom shared the gospel in my backyard, and I knelt down and I gave my life to Jesus. I don't know where it was or when it was for you, but a Savior came to you, and he came to you in your darkness, and he came to you in your bondage, and he came to you in your sin, and he came to you while you were in the ditch that you couldn't get out of yourself, right? And he came to you when you had no hope in this world, dead in your trespasses and sins, Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says, and he came there and he rescued you. He paid the price for your salvation. And he rescued you, transferring you out of sin and bondage and death into a place of freedom and life. And he did that, Paul says, to redeem you for himself. And then Paul uses another word, because that's not enough. He says adoption. So that we might receive the adoption as sons. What is adoption? You know what adoption is. It's to, 
ultimately bestow familyhood, family status on one who was not a naturally born child. It means to bring them into the family in exactly the same way as one who was born naturally into the family, to where there is literally no distinction whatsoever. We were alienated from God because of our sins, separated from God. We were enemies of God, Ephesians tells us. But through Jesus, he forgives our sin, wipes the slate clean, and he bestows on us the status of family to the point to where we can actually refer to him as our father who art in heaven. Paul says this all went back. He tracks this back to Christmas, to the arrival of Jesus. Final principle this morning that I think pulls all this together, especially Galatians, is that we celebrate. Remember, we celebrate the things we value. We celebrate because God offers redemption and he offers adoption (laughs) through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you have received that. You remember the day that you were adopted into the family of God. You remembered when you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe it was in a church. Maybe it was in your home. Maybe it was at work. Maybe you had pulled the car over and prayed and gave your life to Jesus because it was the fullness of time for you. (laughs) And you remember where you were when that happened. But somewhere along the way, that whole celebration of the fact that he came for you has just been missed in the hurried busyness of the season. Others of you, you've never come to that place where you've given your life to Jesus. And, and you hear passages like this and you think, man, I would, love, I would love to have a relationship with God, but I don't think he could ever forgive me for the things I've done. Let me just tell you, yes, he can. That if anything you'd done was unforgivable, Jesus would not have died for it. The only thing that he won't forgive is a rejection of him once and for all. You've not gone too far. He'll forgive you and take you just as you are, but he's going to love you too much to keep you that way. He's going to begin to mold and shape and change you because he loves you and he's got a plan for your life. But it all starts when you lay down your sin and say, Jesus, I've blown it. Would you forgive me and take over? Believing that he's God, that he died, that he rose, and he'll do it, I promise. I promise. Maybe somewhere for you, you're celebrating your salvation I've been in a lot of churches through the years. You see a lot of Christians, and I've been in seasons like this myself, obviously, where it seems like we're enduring our salvation more than we're enjoying. Listen, there should be very little enduring because look at what we have, a treasure in our salvation. Back in 1991, my, um, my brother, I believe it was, I can't even remember now, either my brother or my oldest sister, started a tradition in our family, and um, this is long before Susie and I were married, and uh, our family had a lot of traditions growing up. My mom went way over the top with Christmas and decorations and everything, and it was just, it was like living in the Helen Georgia Christmas shop in our house from about, you know, like Halloween, it seemed, I think it probably started all the way up into, like, into the new year, well into the new year, it seemed, and uh, she, she did most all of it herself, and she just loved Christmas. Well, my dad, uh, my dad passed away back in 2000. Nine, um, my mom passed away in 2015, and then about four years ago in 2018, my oldest sister, Cass, passed away. 
And so um, by the time they'd passed away, Susie and I were married, our family was, was growing, and we, we kind of had begun to establish our own traditions and those kinds of things. But you never really forget what it was like back as a kid, obviously. Well, again, we had this new tradition that started, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was my brother who started it, uh, that it was going to be a revolving Christmas card. And uh, it would be this Christmas card. It had a little, you know, you open it up and it plays this, you know, jingle bells or whatever. It had a little battery in it. 1991, all right? So 31 years ago. And, uh, <clears throat> and so he sent it to my oldest sister, Cass, who, who's now passed away. And a uh, little note on there, it said, Merry Christmas from us, gave some instructions, because, you know, every tradition has to have instructions if it's worth anything. And, uh, you know, it could only go to, a, to, to a, a member of the Kale family, you know, a, a direct descendant of the Kales or who, something like that. So it was like the four of us, my mom and dad. And so almost immediately, my oldest sister forgot about it. And, uh, and so the tradition was, was short-circuited almost from the beginning. And, and so it shows up to my other sister, I think the next year, but it must have been late because I, uh, you, you can read in there that uh, it says, oops, I, I'm sorry, I forgot, you know, and so then the, she sends it to my other sister, uh, and then the next year, 1993, that sister forgets, right, connects. She forgets about it, doesn't send, send it, and, and then eventually it captures up like the next year, it's just a year late, there's a few years of success until 1999, the Christmas card hit the intertestamental silent period, Okay. Uh, and for 15 years, it went silent. It was the intertestinal period of the Kale family revolving Christmas card. From 1999 until 2014, I don't know where the card was. I hear it was found next to the Dead Sea Scrolls in a cave. And, uh, you know, no, I, don't, I don't know where it went. I, I don't even remember who had it. But it showed up to me, 2014. <clears throat> there was a note in there that somewhere, somewhere in there that the, the actual... Over 20 years later, the, the, the little thing was still playing. You could open it up, it was still playing. 20, it's like, I don't know what kind of battery was in that thing, but it was worth a lot. I mean, somebody had written, because by the time I got it, it had already been filled in so much, there were now sticky notes that were in there. And, uh, and so 2014, it came to me, well, I forgot about it, right? It was my turn to forget. And I'm going through the garage earlier this year. I think it was out in the garage, going through a box or something, and I find it. And it's in a padded envelope from 2014 in my sister's handwriting who's passed away with her return address and my name written on it. And I opened it up back, I don't even remember, I think it was the spring because I remember creating a reminder on my phone for in December to mail it so I wouldn't forget again. And uh, so it had been eight years and I'd forgotten about the thing. And I'm looking through it and I'm reading these sticky notes. And I see a sticky note from my brother, from my sister, one from me from years ago to my mom and dad when I sent it to them. And, and there's one in there that my mom wrote in her handwriting that uh, she said, unlike my daughters, I remembered to send the card, right? So she take a little jab at them. And this may be the only actual written thing I've ever seen from my dad. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of written things that he ever wrote. But written beneath that where my mom wrote that little note, kind of jabbing at my sisters, he said, only because I remind her, dad. <laughs> right? And it was just so cool to read through that and, and to just remember. Just remember. And I don't know what it, what it is. Some of you maybe this will resonate. But just something about seeing my dad's handwriting was just the coolest thing. You know, we mailed that card yesterday. And it'll go to one of my members of my family. 
and they'll open it up in their, in their mail this week, and they're going to be surprised because it's been a while. You know, for you, maybe you think about where you were once with God, and it was so close. And Maybe there's been some hard things that have happened in the years since then. Maybe there's been some loss. Maybe there's been some hardship. Maybe there's been some times in the far country where you've just sort of walked away. But you know, the cool thing is it's never too late to get that started again. Because when you gave your life to Jesus back there, he called you family. And God takes family really seriously. Maybe if you're in that dry place today, listen, you've got something to celebrate. Because a Savior, Christ, the Lord, your rescuer, your Messiah, God himself came for you. And if you don't know him today, all you got to do is lay down the life as you know it and say, Jesus, I give it to you. Save and rescue me, and he will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Everything we read is true, every word of it. And Lord, thank you for the details you give us centering around that first Christmas. God, you don't tell us everything. We got a lot of questions. It's going to be cool to get to heaven and, and see the whole big story all laid out in every detail. But God, we know enough that you've t shown us in your word to just blow us away already. Lord, the whole simple truth that you would come for us, God, we don't deserve that. But if you didn't come for us, God, we have no hope in this world. Without you coming, there's no dying in our place. Without you dying, there's no resurrection to prove that you are God. And without resurrection, there's no reason for faith because we are without hope. God, the whole plan of salvation, it had started all the way back in eternity past. You knew what you would do for us. Even that's mind-blowing that you would create us in the first place, knowing what it would cost you. But God, Christmas is where in human history it all started. It all came to a head the most pivotal event, perhaps, in all of human history was when you came for us. God, we have every reason to celebrate. Just like the angels, just like the shepherds, just like Simeon, just like Anna, just like the wise men who would travel from so far to bring gifts, gifts fit for a king because they celebrated what they valued. Lord, if we don't celebrate what you've done for us, there are really only a couple of other options Lord, either we're opposed to the message or we've forgotten its significance. Lord, may neither be the case. But from this day forward, may we celebrate authentically, even in the midst of the hurriedness, even in the midst of the stress of the season, may we celebrate, may that be the primary thing we do. May we celebrate that you, Jesus, came for us. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, may we live our lives now, as a testimony to you, may we share this message that others can celebrate too. And God, may we, may we give you glory for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.